Welcome to the VoiceOver Insider Podcast. For VO industry news, tips, and information, be sure to subscribe using the subscribe button on this site. I'm Gary McFadden, the podcast co-host along with Julie Williams. Julie, what's coming up on the podcast today? Our guest today is John Kissinger on the VoiceOver Insider podcast. Hello. And John is a fabulous talent. Boy, you've got to go to, uh, what is your website for the, now to hear your demos? Johnkissinger.com, J-O-H-N-K-I-S-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. That's easy. No relation to Henry, by the way. <laughs> I tried to get juliewilliams.com, but yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's juliewilliamspo.com. There's another John Kissinger who's the CEO of some company in Wisconsin who seemed to snap up all the other social media things. So I'm John Kissinger VO on social media. Well, that's okay because it tells people what you do. At least you have the John Kissinger domain. Yes, that I got. So John is a great talent, uh, just a lot of e-learning work. And that in itself is enough to have him join us today to talk about maybe the industry. But you are also an e-learning developer. Was that before you started doing voiceover? Yeah, so I cut my teeth in corporate training about uh, 23-ish years ago, almost a quarter of a century. Back in those days, there was no online learning. It was all stand-up instruction with flip charts and overhead projector, transparency, slide carousels, that whole bit. There wasn't even PowerPoint uh, happening at that point in time. Um, So after kind of starting out as a stand-up trainer, instructor uh, for corporate training classes and so forth. I sort of fell through the back door into instructional design, this great world of designing content to educate corporate adult learners on a variety of topics, uh, though my specialty tended to track into leadership development and soft skills, communication skills, team building, um, you know, performance management, all that kind of stuff, motivation, engagement. And along the way, found that I was being asked, actually, once e-learning became a thing, I was being asked internally to narrate it. Well, I've done that for a number of years, narrating a variety of different projects uh, as someone working in a training department. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it dawned on me one day that I'd always had this fascination with audio. I worked in radio when I was in college, used to have a recording studio in my basement. I mean, just, you know, had this passion for audio. And somehow, the streams converged where this corporate training thing that is known more broadly as e-learning intersected with my interests in audio. Uh, So I started uh, doing coaching and uh, cut a demo uh, and hung out my shingle uh, probably about four years ago. That's kind of a natural progression between your radio background and your e-learning background. It just makes sense. And I'm sure you get paid a lot more voicing things now than you did when you were working in the department when you probably didn't get a cent. Uh, yes, I certainly get paid more for my audio work. Although in those days, it was a pleasant diversion from the daily grind to kind of go and do something different that I had always had a passion for. Um, and in truth, that is still, uh, you know, whenever I talk to folks about e-learning, I always remind us that public enemy number one is not your peer voice actor going after the same business. It's actually the instructional designers themselves who are also enjoying a pleasant diversion, or they've been told they have a nice voice, or uh, the company doesn't want to spend money, so they get Tim from accounting to come down and and narrate it in a poorly treated conference room with people walking up and down the hallway or 
yelling about going to lunch or something. So it's uh, there's no shortage of e-learning work out there. The challenge is breaking through to a market where most of it is narrated for free internally to the companies or organizations. But you would say uh, most of it absolutely is. Yeah, I'm convinced most of it is is being narrated internally. So there's a huge market out there. We just have to find creative and interesting ways to market ourselves to break through and show people the value of hiring a professional to do that narration, because it's not something they're used to thinking about during their annual budget cycles. When they're busy budgeting for stock photography and clip art and software and all these other things they use to create the e-learning, audio is an afterthought. They totally forget about it. So we've got to get on their radar early and often and network. Uh, not in a pushy, salesy way, but in a peer-to-peer value-added, uh, I love learning, I'm fascinated about learning. So just kind of that more organic way of net- networking, I've found is a good way to get people to establish a relationship with you, get you to trust them, or I'd rather get them to trust you. Yeah, you might want to trust them too. Exactly. Um, and then uh, eventually, you will pick up some work from them, but it does take time. It's not like the typical... Uh, you know, there's always the pay to play avenue of getting after it, but you're competing against 20,000 people. Yeah, you're much better off to market yourself. I'm not on pay to play. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not either. Not anymore. Yeah, it's not worth it. The different systems that um, all of the pay to plays use are just I don't believe in most of them. There, are, I'm not saying I don't believe in all of them. I think a couple of them are reputable. Two of them that I can think of are reputable, but the others that I know of, I, I would not. I shouldn't say I'm not on them either, Julie. I'm sorry. That's a mistake. I'm on one, only one left. And it's a small one and it specializes in e-learning. And that's why I'm on it. And I've had nothing but great success, a great relationship, but not, a, not everyone is able to generate work out of that platform. So is that um, Rick Gordon's uh, e-learning? That is, yes. e-learningvoices.com. Yep. Mm-hmm. World Voice Organization, WOVO has tried mm-hmm. to get uh, to the um, e-learning developers conference time after time after time to educate these people that there's value in hiring a voice to do e-learning. But again, that's, you know, a uh, rock in a hard place. I mean, they're, they're not really getting through very well. So it's, it is definitely a challenge to get in there. Um, what do you think about using LinkedIn to, to target individual e-learning producers that happen to be at such and such company that you search through and just target the individual to try to get e-learning work from them. Yeah. Um, Well, LinkedIn has been a valuable tool for a lot of voice actors trying to break into e-learning. And there are no shortage of e-learning developers, instructional designers on LinkedIn, being a professional site used by people in corporations or job seekers and that kind of stuff. Um, One warning I'll give you is something I discovered at the beginning of this year. Um, I have a, a pretty strong network of people I'm connected to, whether through LinkedIn or Twitter, where a lot of other instructional designers are very active. And one very, very well-known, borderline famous person within the instructional design industry uh, tweeted out, wow, I never knew there were so many voice actors on LinkedIn. And that was it. That was the end of his thing. And to me, it was like kind of a shot across the bow because I know other people who've personally complained to me about getting sort of spammed with aggressive sales tactic, uh, job seekers, uh, voice actors looking for work trying to break into the e-learning industry. Um, And I would say 
if you're going to connect on platforms like that, there's kind of an art and a science to it. And not the least of which is making a personal connection first and then bring in your voice acting, job seeking, it's all about me sales kind of stuff later. Uh, the, the thing with e-learning business, there's a ton of it out there. I've told you who public enemy number one is, but you have to realize you're playing the long game. And the cool thing about e-learning, unlike commercial, maybe some other genres, is you will get repeat work. I have clients yeah. that I've had for years now that I've done hundreds of projects for who keep coming back year after year after year. Now, I have some that have come and gone. Maybe they didn't have budget to do it again. Maybe they didn't think the ROI was there. Or maybe they just had a different concept and wanted a different voice for a different type of project they were working on. I may never know. But it is very common to get repeat business in right. e-learning. And that's, that's what you butter. want because it pays well. Right. That's my bread and butter. Repeat client yeah. and e-learning, you know, it's just, I mean, it's not all I do by any means, but, you know, it's oh, sure. basically my bread and butter. And, you know, uh, at times when I'm unable to um, get out and market myself, it's that those repeat clients that yeah. keep coming to pay the bills. So what do you think about automation? There are so many um, services now where they're automating voiceover and they're not all bad. What are your no, thoughts? No, they're not that? all bad, but they certainly lack the full diversity of tonality. And, uh, you know, most of them are a pretty straight read. So you might not get quite the conversational style. You, you certainly don't get variations or fluctuations in energy depending on the script. Um, it is getting more sophisticated. It is getting better, but it will always be limited to so many voices. You know, how many ever they've recorded and written into their algorithm. I'm not afraid of it yet. That's not to say I shouldn't be or won't be at some point. But I think right now, a lot of it is cost prohibitive or time prohibitive. Most of the instructional designers I know who use like text to speech apps. Uh, during their instructional design process, don't for finished VO. They do it during development when they're trying to proof a script or they're trying to pull together their module and later they'll swap out the actual voice actor's voice for their kind of robotic sounding text-to-speech placeholder voice. It is getting better, but I think as, as, as a guy who designs e-learning myself, because I still have one foot in both worlds. Oh, I didn't know that you're still doing it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I still do. Uh, not just e-learning, kind of more learning experience design, which includes like instructor-led classes and other learning solutions. Yeah, I, I, I do that in part to keep my finger on the pulse, in part because I can't leave well enough alone. I, you know, I've been involved in it for a quarter century. It's hard to migrate away and they keep offering me work. So, you know, <laughs> um, but uh, so I get to scratch both itches, I guess. But I personally don't use text-to-speech apps when I design, and I, I don't know a ton of people who do. Um, generally, it's probably an underfunded department that's using it, uh, or an overworked instructional designer, or someone who doesn't have connections, or doesn't know how uh, hiring a voice actor works. So again, it's part of, part of our job is educating them, bringing them along, but gently, collegially, right? Um, let's be their colleagues. Uh, not their customer, if you will, or not have them be our customers or 
Right. That's, that's kind of the way um, Tracy Lindley teaches LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But a very, very gentle but productive approach. You know, yeah. you're not spamming them. Right. Like they may be getting from all of those people that are on. Yeah. There, I never knew there were so many voice actors on LinkedIn. <laughs> and there are. And it's kind of frightening because that reaction really scares me on behalf of both of the industries that I'm involved in. We have a value that we can add to help them make their instructional projects even more effective. And if they're going to run from us because they feel like they're being accosted by us, then the entire industry loses. And that's not what we want. And that's when they go to automation, right? And that may be a motivator to go to automation, especially as it gets better, right? They're always going to be limited by the few voices that are pre-recorded that they can use, but... That's scary when I think about it, because when I got into radio more than 40 years ago, everything was, you know, high personality radio, DJ. There wasn't any automation anyway. And now there are morning radio people in Dallas who are making $9 an hour, you know, because of all this automation and because everybody needs work and everybody's hungry. And and I guess there's enough ego there that they're willing to work for it or, or they don't have anything else they can do to make money. And I'm just thinking, okay, that's what happened to them. What could happen to us in the future? You know? right. I can't imagine what it would be that would cause that to happen, except for maybe the automated voices. But, you know, that's, you know, the satellite industry is gone, you know, as far as buying satellite dishes. I mean, you know, industries right. come and go. So I, I do like to look ahead and be prepared for what's going to happen in the future. And with this text-to-speech, I, I really don't know what, what is coming. It's hard to predict. And I do get asked that question a lot. As I said, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I'm maybe not as nervous about it as I should be. But right now, the technology is still limited. It's bleeding edge. Unless, you know, someone is aware of really sophisticated text-to-speech that is uh, cheap. A lot of it still costs. You're still buying licenses to use this stuff. And as I say, you're going to be limited by how many ever voices they've recorded. Now, they'll continue to expand those out. But what else are you limited by? I can, I can type something in, but there's no way from the written word alone, any AI can perfectly interpret that copy, right? It, it can get good, but I, if I'm writing a story, you know, well, let's say I'm Edgar Allan Poe, I write, I write a poem, and then someone's going to read it. You might read it one way. I might read it a different way. Someone else is going to emphasize different words different, differently and so forth, or underemphasize something or overemphasize something. And all of that copy interpretation is going to be limited, at least for the foreseeable future in any of those text-to-speech apps. They're, they're probably going to read it as written and not necessarily put all the kind of pausing and drawing words out and emphasis here or there or uh, stringing things together in a more natural conversational right. way. And if text-to-speech is anything like speech-to-text, we don't have to worry about anything. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and that may be the case, right? We'll get uh, the way Siri interprets uh, what I say in here is always kind of interesting. <laughs> we have been talking with John Kissinger, who is still in uh, learning development, um, but also a fabulous um, uh, voiceover talent, too. And um, John, thank you so much for joining us. Please You're very welcome. All of your insights. So, and thank you for joining us too on the VoiceOver Insider podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week.